0: Today's reading is from Luke 10, 1 through 3, and sixteen twenty one. After this, the Lord appointed seventy-two others and sent them on ahead of Him, two by two, into every town and place where He Himself was about to go. And He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. Go your way, behold… I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ.
1: Christ. Thank you again, Howard, and also to Haley and Dr. Wang for sharing us your, with us your story and your musical gift. Um, my name is Scott. Everybody, hello. Uh, I am one of the pastors here at Christ Prez, and um, hope you're doing well here at the beginning of uh, sort of uh, homecoming dance season and also spring or spring fall break. Uh, season for private schools, public schools, homeschoolers. Uh, hope you're feeling uh, refreshed or, or at least hopeful about becoming refreshed uh, with, with a bit of a break ahead of many of us. But uh, glad you're here with us today. Great to be with you. And uh, I I do have a couple of announcements as the children are dismissed, Uh, uh, and uh, children may join our children's staff over here. Mallory, Miss Mallory, uh, and uh, while they are coming forward, just want to remind all of us to take this black notebook, should be at the end of your rows, fill it out, pass it down. It helps us know you're here, and it helps us to better know how we can serve you and uh, I've got two uh, announcements to share uh, of a couple of upcoming things in our community. First of all is uh, on Thursday, October the 13th, Thursday, October the 13th, that's a week from this coming Thursday, CPC will host our third annual uh, Q Commons here in the CPC Central uh, Sanctuary. The, the, the theme this year is Engaging Our Divided nation. Uh, and uh, we've got uh, some national thought leaders that will be speaking into this particular moment, and these will be on the screen. They will not be here live, but uh, included there are Ravi Zacharias, Kirsten Powers, uh, Ross Douthat from the New York Times, and also the, the uh, the musician and artist Lecrae. And then we also have three local speakers who will be here with us in person, and those include Andrew Peterson, Uh, musician Andrew Peterson, Brenda Haywood, who does uh, a lot of work with at-risk teens in Nashville, and also Sissy Goff, uh, who works with Daystar Counseling Center, and their focus will be uh, on raising a healthy next generation. So, Essentially, two themes engaging a divided nation and raising a healthy generation uh, uh, as well. So, uh, there's a discount code available for CPC members and your friends. Uh, Free childcare, also for those who need that. Free childcare, free childcare. And registration information available in your bulletin and also on the CPC website. And uh, then the second thing coming up, uh, if you're new to CPC, uh, I would really like to meet you. Once a quarter, we have what we call Newcomer's Dessert. Uh, It happens in homes near this location. And uh, the next one is next Sunday night, October the 9th, 7 o'clock. PM. This is my favorite time to connect personally with um, with new people to CPC. Uh, we we gather around a, a table or a room and talk about our community, our vision, and specifically that night is uh, to answer your questions and whatever those questions may be uh, about our community. So again, more information about that if you're a newcomer, want to join us for that in the bulletin and also at the welcome center. So um, so today we're continuing our. Series that we're entitling "All In," and it's it's about our vision as a church. You'll see an expanded expression of that vision written out uh, on two pages inside your bulletin. You can follow along. Our focus is actually on the third paragraph today, um, and we're we're doing that from Luke chapter ten. The context here is that Jesus's disciples, seventy-two of them, have. Uh, have been through a season of ministry that has caused them to feel like they have the wind at their backs. So Jesus sent out seventy-two uh, of his of his disciples for two purposes, the ministry of the Word and the ministry of deed, which which always are meant to go together and never separate from one another. So, the ministry of the Word, they were going out into the communities and into the cities around them, preaching the Word of Christ, sharing the gospel, telling people about the hope that Jesus Christ, who has died and risen and will come again, uh, brings to them in the gospel. And then also the ministry of Deed where they are going out and they're healing the sick and, and they're seeing miracles happen. They're seeing new church communities planted and formed in different neighborhoods and, and cities and towns. And, and everywhere they go, it seems that the world is, is, is being made better than, than it was when they found it things are getting better spiritually. People are coming alive to Jesus Christ. Uh, Things are getting better socially as divided communities are uniting together under Christ like the Jews and the Gentiles. And things are getting better culturally as people see the importance of integrating faith and work and and in seeing that all vocation uh, is is to be embraced as a calling from God uh, as we go out into the world. And so, the wind is at their backs, and they come to Jesus… Really excited. And, and they say in verse 17 this the 72 returned to Jesus and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. Now, Christ Presbyterian Church, you might say that we're in, uh, in some ways, a similar season where, where, in many ways, we feel like, as a church community, the wind is at our back. We've experienced growth. Uh, sort of this outward sign. We, we, we've gone in the last uh, couple of years from, from having one service to three services, from having one location to two locations with the launching of CPC InTown, which was actually planted one year ago today uh, near uh, Vanderbilt and Belmont and Lipscomb and the universities, Music Row and such. Things feel extremely healthy uh, internally. There's a lot of joy in our church community, there's a lot of unity being experienced, a lot of vitality. People who are struggling are are, are being cared for well and beautifully, with 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 uh, a more organized and 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 effective care uh, focus than ever. People are coming together in community as we launch a new season of of connect groups and and just a lot of of really exciting, wonderful experiences. In our community. Even the hard things, as, as Dr. Uh, Paul Lim mentioned a moment ago, even the hard things have, be, have become occasions for our church to come together as a community and, and witness the goodness of God to the world outside. And, and so, missionally, other things are happening. The, the, the launching of the Nashville Institute for Faith and Work uh, about a year ago under Missy Wallace's leadership, uh, our partnership with a couple of other churches, West End Community and St. George's Episcopal with Nashville Fellows that, 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 that Haley uh, just shared with us about a moment ago. Gotham, which, which has embraced not just people from CPC but, but multiple churches to help them integrate their, 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 their faith and their work and to think the, theologically and Christianly about everything. Our public faith initiatives, parties, and neighbor love efforts, public forums like Q Commons, like the the uh, election week politics forum that we're going to have uh, the Sunday before the the national election, mercy and justice partnerships where where our people are being deployed for the the healing of 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 those struggling with addiction, uh, of the underserved, of the oppressed where there's racial tension, where where people are coming out of prostitution, uh, crisis pregnancies, poverty, vulnerability, human trafficking, and the sex trade. Our people are engaged in all of these mercy and justice efforts and more, and resources are being deployed. And so, you know, we in some ways could, could say, Lord, uh, there's so many great things happening here. And then we've got a vision in front of us, a dream, as we're calling it, for a better tomorrow where we where we hope god willing to blanket nashville or participate in a movement that blankets nashville with not only more cpc locations but also get behind churches being planted by other by other churches you know from a resourcing perspective and otherwise and to get engaged cross culturally and cross ethnically and 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 contribute to to multi-ethnic efforts and, and, and new communities being formed around our city and beyond. And, and, and so it's just an exciting, optimistic, hopeful thing. And so, so th- there, there are essentially three postures that I think we need to talk about, especially in a season uh, that feels like a season of blessing, in a season that feels like the wind is, is at our back. I think we need to allow Jesus… As if it were ever our prerogative to allow Jesus of anything, but but, but to receive from Jesus the same things that he says to disciples that, that 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 feel that they have the wind at their backs. And and those three things are more humility, less amnesia, and, and bold mission. So let's start with more humility. So, so their excitement, the 72, as they come back to Jesus, their excitement is about this: we are powerful. We are influential. We are getting her done. Lord, look at us. Even the demons are obeying us. And Jesus responds, guys, that's nothing. You want to know what I saw? I saw Satan himself fall from heaven like lightning. And I want you to know that you've got no power in yourself to accomplish anything. I want you to know that I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you don't rejoice in that. Of course it's a fine and good thing to enjoy the fruit of ministry and to celebrate it and, and, and high-five about it. That's not the issue. What, what, what Jesus is concerned about is they're hanging their hats and anchor, upon and anchoring their hearts into results and outcomes rather than in their identity as those who have already had their names written by the favor of God in heaven. So Eugene Peterson in, in uh, The Message um, paraphrases this text in this way. The great triumph is not in your authority over evil, but in God's authority over you and presence with you. Not what you do for God, but what God does for you. That's the agenda for rejoicing. Not what you do for God, but what God does for you is the agenda for rejoicing. See, what's happening is that they are, they are starting to develop, the disciples are, an unhealthy focus on success and, and metrics and, 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 and fulfilled strategy and the extraordinary. And, and Jesus comes back with them to them with a very non-strategic statement. Don't rejoice in what you've accomplished. Rejoice in who you are and in what God says you are because of me. You know, there, there, there's some perspective here if we think about the fact that among the 72 was Judas, the betrayer, the son of per- perdition who was never truly converted. And here, here Judas is going out experiencing the fruit of Christianity without having the heart of Christ. You know, he's preaching the gospel, he's, he's, he's involved in all of these extraordinary things that are happening. Maybe he's singing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, and, and getting a really strong emotional feeling and charge from, from that experience of being surrounded by all that energy. But he still has an unconverted heart. And people around him, their lives are changing, their lives are being transformed by all the extraordinary things that are happening, but Judas himself remains unchanged. You remember in Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, at the end of time, on the day of judgment, many, like Judas, will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons and do many miracles in your name? And yet I will look and I will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, evildoers." So there's this call for humility. There, there's this call to, 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 to not develop or, or, or let, you know, let, let sneak up on our hearts this spirit of hubris, this spirit of pride, this, this spirit of, look at what we're doing. Look at what I've done. You know, a great sort of anchoring prayer. You know, I appreciate how, how Paul, you, um, in, in, in articulating the purpose of the book of common prayer, talked about how helpful and how valuable written prayers and printed prayers from from other people from other times and places in history can be for our own spiritual formation and anchoring. So one such prayer for me has been um, uh, the Covenant Prayer by John Wesley, who is unarguably one of the most influential Christians who's ever lived. And John Wesley, and, 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 you know, it, toward the peak in many ways of his influence a prayer that has has taken, uh, you know, through history and, and has been prayed by many, including yours truly, uh, more times than can be counted. And, and here's how his prayer, his, his covenant prayer goes. It's a great prayer to think about as a community, especially in times where, where it feels like the wind's at our backs, because we have to anchor our hearts in, in humility in, at times when the wind is at our backs so that, that our hearts can be prepared for those times when the wind comes in our faces. And that's bound to happen, because Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And if, if we go for 20 years without having any trouble, we should be concerned about that, right? So this, in many ways, is a way to anchor the soul for those times of setback when they come. Wesley prayed this way, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will, Lord. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering." Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. It's all I need. Everything else is gravy. Everything else is bonus. Outcomes, results, demons subject to you and obeying you. It's all gravy. It's all bonus. These are all non-essential bonuses to, to the one essential thing, and that's that you belong body and soul to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, the message here is to check your heart. Because sometimes you, you, you can even use ministry and good works and service, as an occasion to medicate your shattered ego, to make that small person that you feel like inside feel a little bit bigger by by accomplishing something. That was the philosophy of of Karl Marx, who said these words in a moment of vulnerability. I am nothing, and I should be everything. Everything man, the poor denuded creature, must repress his smallness by attempting greatness. Let's beware of any impulse in us, either individually or corporately, to repress our smallness by pursuing greatness. It is only the greatness of Jesus Christ, it is only the greatness of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that healthy people are about. and We want to be healthy people. You know, we want to be the kind of people that re- repudiate, compare and compete, that repudiate the notion that somehow we can add to what Christ has done for us, that somehow we can or, or, or should make an effort to make a name for ourselves rather than, than just simply bowing before the name of Jesus. So here's what Tim Keller says. He says, Jesus is saying, look at what you're resting in. Look at what you are rejoicing in to get a sense that you're somebody, power, your gifts, your accomplishments, your performance, that is going to lead to the same thing that made Satan fall, pride. It's pride that goes before a fall. You know, speaking of Tim, I i, I, I don't know if I've met a whole lot of people who live these words to the degree that that, that he does. Um you know, I got to, you know, most of you know that I got to work with Tim for about five years before coming to CPC. And going into that experience, I, I felt really optimistic because I felt like, you know, at least according to me, I was going to work alongside the best English speaking preacher of our time, uh, one of the foremost thought leaders in Christianity of our time. And th- those things I still believe are true. But when we left to come to Nashville, here's what I left with. Here's what's impressed me. I actually sent him an email last week about this. Just, you know, every now and then it's good to thank people who positively impact you. And I just it just dawned on me I haven't said thank you to, to this particular mentor in quite some time. And so I sent him a note basically saying the person I want to follow, the person I want to be like, the person I want to um, emulate is the person who is shy about the spotlight, the person who as their influence grows, they become more humble, not less, They become more prayerful, not less. They become more receptive to the Word of the Lord, not less, and more dependent on the Word of the Lord and not less. So, for over 30 years, this guy has read and prayed through the Psalms one time every month. And for for over 30 years, this guy has read through the Bible at least once every single year and still does. Still does. You know, In his late 60s, reads 100 books a year because he, he never gets past uh, a, a sense that he needs to keep learning and growing. He listens to the people around them. He's got a good marriage. He's not a perfect person. He's got his quirks, he's got his weaknesses like like all the rest of us. But it's just a rare person that when demons are subject to them, you know, when 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 you know, global results uh, you know, are, are, are the product of your faithfulness in ministry. Oftentimes, most of the time, unfortunately, it, it goes to somebody's head, and you start feeling your need for God less and less and less. And you start believing your own press, and it's, it's wonderful to know people, to, to rubbed against people who grow more humble and not less. That's what we need to do. If 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 the Lord elevates our church in the next, you know, 20 years, three decades, whatever, or if He sets us aside, it it really makes no difference. Humility and gratitude because our names are already written in Jesus' book. God values humble pastors and humble churches, not pastors and churches on the move. God isn't interested in it pastors and it churches who compare and compete effectively in their communities. So let's remain anchored in in Wesley's spirit and in in the spirit of of humility. So more humility, but also less amnesia. So so Jesus doesn't just say don't rejoice in, 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 in these things, don't anchor your heart here. He also says here's where you do need to be rejoicing. He says don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you Don't rejoice in all the power that you're experiencing and all the influence and platform that you're gaining. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then verse 21, it says that Jesus then rejoiced, and what did he rejoice in? This is the king of the universe. This is the one who slays dragons. This is the one who created everything by breathing. This is the one who never did anything wrong, never made a mistake, never slipped up never did anything offensive, truly offensive. This is what he rejoiced in. He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So I'm in a discussion group and sort of a, small community with a group of people in Nashville who, who lead things. And there was there was a comment that one of the people in in that little group uh, made two years ago that's that's stuck with me indelibly since. He's a top level attorney. And he said this. I, I just want to pause and out loud thank God for the gift of faith. I just want to pause and thank God that the only reason why I believe is not because I'm better or smarter, but because God gave me the ability to believe. That in itself is a precious thing. I mean, what we should be rejoicing in the most is not that we are God's choice people, because we're not. Not because we're smart, not because we're good, but because God is generous And kind. You just take a look at this. You know, the tribe that surrounded Jesus, some of these were in the 72. They were not his choice people, but they were his beloved and chosen people. Peter, bull in a china shop, sometimes a racist, sometimes a coward. Matthew, crooked tax collector when Jesus first met him. Paul, blasphemer, persecutor, violent man, chief of sinners when Jesus first met him. You go through the genealogy of Jesus, which is your validating record, your genealogy. It wasn't what you've accomplished. It was who you're from that validated you. So here's who Jesus was proud to be from and made sure these people were on his genealogy, on his resume. Abraham and Isaac, who were very, very bad husbands, who put their wives in very vulnerable positions. Rahab, who was an active prostitute when, when God sent his, his, uh, his people to her. Joseph and Mary, a couple of poor, young teenagers who brought the Son of God into the world. Kosam is, is in the, the genealogy. Who's that? Exactly. We don't know who Kosam is. But just like Francis Schaeffer said, there's no such, in the economy of God. There's no such thing as a little person. There are no little people. There are no little places. Can anything good come out of little, little old Podunk hick town Nazareth? You better believe there. You better believe it. Just like David Filson came came from Tater Peeler Road, you know, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, came from a place even less noticeable and on the grid came from a much less strategic place than Nashville. Jesus came from a very non-strategic place, Nazareth. So, so why are we here? We're, We're not here because we're smart. We're not here because we are good. We are here because God is generous and kind. So every Sunday morning as I kind of put the final touches on the sermon, I listen to music, and this morning I pulled out um, some sort of rearranged hymns by, by a group called Red Mountain Music. I think it's out of a church in Birmingham, but, but they had this, this, this sort of uh, twisted take on I have decided to follow Jesus. You know, I have decided to follow Jesus. They twist it and they said this, I never wanted to follow Jesus. I never wanted to follow Jesus. I never wanted to follow Jesus. He rescued me. He rescued me. That's the posture less amnesia. This is about His work, not ours. This is about what He has done for us, not about what we will do for Him. I love what David Brooks said in The Road to Character. He said, humility is the freedom from the need to prove you are superior all the time. But egotism is a ravenous hunger in a small space, self-concern, competitive, and distinction-hungry. Humility is infused with lovely emotions like admiration, companionship, and gratitude. Humility, this is what David Brooks called the eulogy virtues, those things that we all hope people will say about us at our funerals. And then he contrasts the, the the eulogy virtues with what he calls the resume virtues. Those things that we we invest in in order to get ahead, in order to 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 build our platforms, in order to grow our networks, and and and, and, and position ourselves to be more connected, and more famous, build a name for ourselves, and so on. And Brooks says we all know instinctively that that. that the, the, the very best people are going to be the ones that invest in, you know, primarily and supremely in the eulogy virtues rather than the resume virtues, and yet the vast majority of us spend all of our time almost investing in the resume virtues. Why do we do this? Because we have amnesia about who we are. We have amnesia that our names have already been written in God's book. We have amnesia that our judgment day has been relocated from the future to the past when Jesus took care of it all on the cross and and in His resurrection. We have amnesia that the well-done good and faithful servant has already been pronounced over those whose lives are hidden with Jesus Christ in God, clothed in His righteousness, robed in His royal beauty. That's your status, whether you recognize it or not. That's, your, that's who you are. Whether you feel it or not, that's who you are in Christ. You Rejoice not, not that you have brought it, that you have succeeded, that the, the, the future ahead of you, vocationally, ministerially, whatever, is bright. Or promises to be bright. Rejoice that your name is in God's book. Then you will become unflappable. Then you will have understood the secret of contentment that Paul talked about. The secret of being able to be content when you are living in plenty, which is plenty hard, by the way, to be content when you're, you're loaded, right? You get there to the end of the rainbow and you realize it's not what you thought it was because you fear losing everything that you've gained. You fear being number two again. You know, there is no sort of nirvana, there is no magic bullet that's going to make you feel perfectly content based on your circumstances. But he says, I've learned to be content when I'm on the top, and I've I've learned to be content when I'm on the bottom. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You know, say that after you've lost the football game as well as after you've won the football game. Say that after somebody tackles you and you break a leg, just like you would say that after you make a touchdown. I can do all things through Christ, living in plenty, living in want. It's steady, it's unflappable when it gets into us, this stuff that we have such amnesia about. But here's the beauty. All of this will oftentimes lead to more striving and not less but here's the difference. It's a joyful striving. It's an Eric Liddell, when I run, I feel God's pleasure kind of striving because it's a striving that comes from a favor that's already been given to us rather than toward a favor that we somehow feel we have to earn. We are His beloved. That is fixed. Our names are written, etched on His heart and in His book. Nothing can threaten that. Nothing can take it away. Which brings us, lastly, to bold mission. Jesus says, behold, I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. The the word here is apostello, which means little apostles. We are commissioned by Jesus Christ, the Lord himself, to go out into the world, out into the places where we live and work and play and also where we worship. To be healers, and heralds, following Christ in His mission of loving people and places and things to life. Grace generates energy to bless the world. Grace changes our functional reason for existing. You know, Leslie Newbigin put it this way, the church of Jesus Christ is a society that exists for its non-members. Now, this doesn't negate the importance and centrality of life-giving community among the people of God. You know, what what, what you get when you become a church that's about mission but not about cultivating a a life-giving home, where we love one another for Jesus' sake, where we do life together, where we bear one another's burdens and celebrate one another's joy. If you only have mission and not that home aspect, you end up becoming exhausted, And you end up thinking about mission not in terms of us, but in terms of me, and that's a huge burden to bear, a burden that we're not meant to carry on our own shoulders. But when you… when you prioritize home to the neglect of mission, you become bitter, you know, what happens when you take salt and you, you, you turn it into a side dish rather than, than peppering it all over the, the whole world of the plate, right? And all, all the ingredients, it, it becomes bitter. It raises your blood pressure. That's what happens to Christians when they just get together and disconnect themselves from the world. They become jerks for Jesus. The salt loses its savor. The city on a hill is no longer on a hill. It's, it's buried under an anthill somewhere. You're no longer the light of the world. You flickered out. If you think the purpose and the chief end of man is to read the Bible and huddle over here with all the Christians until Jesus comes back and takes us out of this ugly, awful world, that's not Jesus' vision. Because the new heaven and new earth, last I checked, is a continuation of the world we're in right now, not a replacement of it. I love what Scotty Smith says, Jesus is not promising all new things. Jesus is making all things new, which calls for life-giving engagement as we talk about planting new congregations, engaging our city cross-ethnically, cross-culturally, pressing in with with the refugee community and then the most vulnerable people in our midst. When we talk about championing not only the ministries of Christ Presbyterian, but championing the good things being done through other churches in Nashville as we regularly pledge to do, as we think about giving roughly 40 percent of our resources to mission, pouring it in to efforts and initiatives that will love people, places, and things to life, being a church that exists not for ourselves but for our city and for our world. So James Davidson Hunter uh, gets the last word today before we go to the Lord's table and call the children back in. In his book, To Change the World, Hunter says this, by pursuing their will to power, by valuing chiefly and supremely, by, by valuing power, by valuing the ability to coerce and manipulate and control society and or other people uh, into acceding to your will, By pursuing their will to power, some Christians become functional Nietzscheans, followers of the atheist philosopher and existentialist Frederick Nietzsche, participating in the very cultural breakdown that they so ardently strive to resist. Here's what he says. Here's, Here's the last word. To be a Christian is to to be obliged to engage the world, pursuing God's restorative purposes over all of life. And so, the next weeks, uh, we're going to unpack that uh, further. uh,